and welcome to episode 19 of the Graph Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Fairholm. This is an exciting time at Graph as we continue to get closer to launching a first-of-its-kind smart golf ball that will deliver analytics such as ball speed, launch angle, spin rate, and a lot more. With all this data that will be available to users, one of our critical missions is explaining what this data means and how you can apply it to your game in a way that makes sense. It's probably safe to say that the average golfer doesn't know what these metrics mean, but if you do know what they mean, it really is a massive advantage in understanding who you are as a golfer. And yes, everybody can really get important insights out of these metrics, no matter what skill level you are. So in this episode, I'm going to run through a few key metrics and explain what they are. Consider this an intro to understanding analytics. We will have more advanced explanations in future podcasts, and we will bring on some guests who can go very deep into the analytics world. But this episode is really laying a foundation for what analytics can mean for your game. Before we get to that, just a reminder that you can learn more about the Smart Golf Ball by visiting graph.golf. If you go to the club on our website, you'll see a growing database of articles and podcasts that are about analytics in golf. And you could also sign up for our newsletter for the latest company updates. You'll find an option to sign up for those when you visit the site. That's really the best way to keep up with us at the moment. A lot of really exciting developments this month, and we're, we're pumped with what we're working on. We'll be even more pumped when the product is in your hands. All right, let's get into our Smart Golf Ball Analytics Crash Course. We're going to start with the most basic elements of golf analytics, and that is how far does your shot travel and how did it reach that distance? We're all familiar with how far our shot travels. That one is pretty self-explanatory, but I wanted to start by explaining the concept of a carry yardage, which is the distance a ball covers before hitting the ground in a way that you may not have heard before. Everyone has an average carry yardage with each club. Let's say you carry your seven iron 150 yards on average. That's an important number to know for each club. You may need to consider whether you can carry it over a hazard, for example. But carry yardage also has a different meaning beyond what your average distance is with each club. In addition to your average carry distance, you also have minimum and maximum carry yardages. Generally speaking, the better you are as a player, the closer these two numbers will be together. When you hit the graph golf ball, one thing you're going to notice immediately is that it's very, very difficult to consistently hit a club a consistent distance. That seven iron you carry an average of 150 yards, sometimes you hit it really well and carry it maybe 158 yards, and sometimes you don't hit it very well, and maybe it only carries 130 yards. It may sound obvious, but it takes a great player to be consistently within a handful of yards from their average. As a golfer, knowing your minimum and maximum carry yardages will dictate strategy, and it actually should dictate your strategy more than your average carry yardage should. To some people, that may sound backwards, but let me explain how this can be the case. Golf is really a game of percentages. Most golfers really should base their choices on the highest percentage chance that they will leave themselves in the best possible position within reason for their next shot. Let me give you an example. We know from years and years of data 
that hitting the green is an extremely valuable accomplishment to lower your score because most golfers waste shots around the green. Basically, just being on the green, even if you are far away from the hole, is a lot more valuable than golfers give it credit. Really, most golfers should be thinking not about the hole location, but about the highest percentage chance of getting on the green. Hitting the green means taking your range of carry yardages and applying it to your target. If the green is, let's say, 25 yards long and the hole location is in the back of the green, you don't want to take the club that will average reaching the back of the green. You want to take the club that will average the midpoint of the green. That way, if you hit a particularly good shot, which is near your carry yardage maximum, you will likely not go over the green. And if you hit a particularly poor shot, which is near your carry yardage minimum, you'll be either short of the green or maybe on the front edge of the green will be in good position for your next shot. Now, obviously, this is dependent on what hazards you have to clear and where the most dangerous spots are to miss near the green. If we add a water hazard directly in front of this green that I'm mentioning and there is room over the green, you very possibly should hit the club that averages reaching the hole in the back of the green because that will take the water hazard out of play. One final note on carry yardages. Once you've established these yardages for each club, make sure you take notes on how the conditions you're playing in can affect these yardages. For instance, warmer temperatures usually add a few yards as the ball flies farther. Cold weather does the opposite. Being at elevation can sometimes add 10% or so to your distance. And of course, being uphill or downhill will also change things. How much conditions have an impact is a bit of an art form, but you have to know what your carry yardages are for each club to establish a foundation. And then it becomes a lot easier to figure out how conditions can change those numbers if they change them at all. Okay, the next stop for smart golf ball analytics is ball speed. Ball speed is the measurement of the golf ball's velocity just after impact, and it's the main component in generating distance. It's also the main piece in the formula to figure out your carry yardage. Ball speed is different than club head speed. They often get confused, but club head speed is how fast the club is traveling when it reaches the ball and ball speed is measured just after impact. Think of it like this. Club head speed is how fast you swing the club, and ball speed is the energy actually being transferred to the ball. The closer to the center of the face you are hitting a golf ball, the higher your ball speed will be. Ball speed is more a measure of solidness of contact, whereas club head speed is just pure strength. For every mile per hour of ball speed, that is about two yards worth of distance. So increasing your ball speed is important, and being consistent with your ball speed is important as well. So let's say you, you've hit some shots, you're seeing your ball speed, and you want to know how it compares to other people and what it means for your game. It's very natural. We all want to increase our ball speed and have more distance. Here are some benchmarks. Not to compare yourself to a professional player, but just so you know, with a driver, a PGA Tour player averages 168 miles per hour. A scratch male amateur is closer to 160 miles per hour. A male five handicap is around 147 miles per hour. A 10 handicap would be around 138 miles per hour. 
a 15 handicap is around 133 miles per hour, and a 20 handicap is around 130 miles per hour. Those were all men's averages. The average woman's player is around 111 miles per hour with a driver, and better players around five a handicap or so are closer to 125 miles per hour. A scratch female player is right around 132 miles per hour or so. So this is just with the driver, but it's a pretty good indication of distance off the tee and where you will fall for the rest of your clubs in terms of ball speed. Being below average is not necessarily a bad thing, but the data we have shows that better players usually have higher ball speeds. Something that is good to shoot for, especially with your irons, is that you want each shot to be within, I would say, five miles per hour of each other is a really good goal. If you can accomplish that, it's really an indication of consistency and predictability, so keep that in mind when you are seeing the data of each shot. The ball speed with each iron, I know everyone wants to have a, a number in their mind. Here's an example from my own game that you can look at. I went to the range earlier today, hit a handful of eight irons and a handful of three irons, kind of at the, the bottom and the lower end of that, that iron spectrum. My eight iron average distance was 153 yards, and the average ball speed was 109 miles per hour. The three iron average distance was 187 yards, and the average ball speed was 127 miles per hour. So 109 miles per hour versus 127 between the, the three iron and the eight iron, not a massive difference. You could see that the, the ball speed does go down the shorter the club, especially as you get into the wedges, it goes down quite a bit, but there isn't a ton of separation between ball speeds in irons. What you're looking for is repeatability, trying to hit the same number over and over again. So ball speed is the energy transferred to the ball but there are two other very important factors that impact the trajectory of your shot, how far it goes, and what it's going to do when it lands. Those two factors are launch angle and spin. Let's cover launch angle first. Launch angle is the initial ascent of the ball immediately after impact, measured in degrees relative to the ground, or if the ball is on a tee, the horizon of where the ball is. Picture a plane taking off, right? It has to lift at an angle to get into the air and go towards its intended destination. If it lifts too low, even if it's pointed in the right direction, it won't clear objects like, like trees or buildings. And if it lifts too high, it won't be going forward enough to reach its destination either. In golf, launch angle is describing that lift. Too low and the ball may not get airborne enough to go its intended distance, or it won't stop very quickly when it lands. Too high, and it's likely going to come up short of where you want to hit it. To put it simply, launch angle issues are loss of distance issues almost every time. Clubs that have a lower loft produce a lower launch angle while traveling a longer distance, while clubs that have a higher loft are meant to have a higher launch and not travel as far. The loft of a club is by far the most important factor in determining launch angle. What determines launch angle beyond what club a player is using? A, higher ball speeds will produce a higher launch if everything else is equal, meaning that equipment stays the same. Of course, that's not the case for better players. They're using stiffer shafts a lot of times and lower lofts in the case of a driver. 
But also there's something called dynamic loft, which is the amount of loft on the club face at impact. So you can hit a pitching wedge that is naturally 46 degrees at address, but if your hands are way out in front of the ball, you may have turned that club into a 42 degree club that will lower the launch angle. So there's no one answer to knowing what launch angle someone should be at, but we do have some clues. The average male amateur hits a driver with 12.6 degrees of launch. The average LPGA Tour player, which is more relatable to the average golfer, hits a driver with 13.2 degrees of launch. If you are a slower swing speed than average, you should be playing a higher lofted driver and or a shaft with more flex, so your launch will be higher because of that. And the opposite is true as well. The faster you swing, generally you will want slightly less loft and a stiffer shaft which drives launch down. The PGA Tour average is about 11 degrees of launch. So if you are a faster swing speed player and your launch is 16 degrees, let's say, that is a red flag. It could be an equipment red flag, or it could be a sign that you are adding loft with your swing, which could be a sign that you are hanging too far back on your trail side and flipping the club upwards. Poor contact is also a big indicator of launch being too high. Most golfers launch the ball too high, not too low. And that is really mainly because of poor contact, especially when you're talking about irons. A great player hits the ball first and then the ground, and launch angle really tells a story there. So the way it works is that your launch angle will be higher with your driver than it will be with your fairway woods, even though you have less loft on your driver. Why is that the case? You hit a driver from a tee, and fairway woods, even if they are teed up, the ball is near the ground. That changes the launch. But from that point forward, the shorter the club with the higher loft, the higher the launch angle. Again, this is really a consistency issue. Ideally, you want to be within, I would say, two degrees with each shot. I'll give you another example from, from my own practice. So this is with a 52-degree gap wedge. I hit four shots, and the launches were 40.8 degrees, 42.3 degrees, 39.1, and 41.6. The two highest launches of that group went the shortest distance of the four, and I felt more comfortable with the swings I made on the two lower launching shots. And I know from experience in my practice that I like to launch my gap wedge around 40 degrees. That's when I feel I'm making clean contact and the ball is going to go the distance I like to see with my gap wedge, which is, which is around 105 yards. You will see this in your own game with the graph golf ball. And you will almost always see that shots you miss hit, the launch angle is a little higher than your good shots. So like I said, we'll get a little deeper into these topics on future podcasts, but I wanted to tackle one more here before we go, and that is spin rate. This is a direct relative of launch angle, and when we say spin, we mean the amount of times the ball is spinning backwards while it's in the air, and this is measured in RPMs, or revolutions per minute. What effects spin? The more loft you have, the more spin you will generate. So a 7-iron will spin more than a 5-iron with everything else being equal. And a pitching wedge will spin more than a 9-iron, a for example. And as with distance, more speed means more spin if everything else is equal with your equipment. 
Of course, the best players in the game remove a lot of that spin on longer shots through equipment changes. Another connection with launch angle is that poor contact usually means higher spin rates. Go on YouTube and you'll see hundreds of videos where an instructor will make a good swing and there's a lower spin rate, and then they'll hit a slice on purpose and the spin rate more than doubles or sometimes triples. Crazy high spin rates are red flags that you are losing distance and you are not making good contact or you may be playing the wrong equipment. Okay, so with a driver, a PGA Tour player will normally be around 2,700 RPMs. A, a scratch player will be around 2,900 RPMs. A 10 handicap will be around 3,200 RPMs. You see it is going up based on what I just talked about. Most golfers want to lower their spin with their driver while maintaining the highest launch angle possible. That's your answer to why everyone doesn't use seven degree drivers. If you used one, your spin would be a lot lower, but the ball won't get off the ground and it won't go far enough. Uh, that's also your answer to why everyone doesn't use a 12 degree driver. Your launch angle may be higher, but the ball is just going to spin a lot more and it's not going to go very far. So for all golfers, this is a delicate balance and it really depends on your swing speed. It depends on a lot of other factors in your game equipment wise. And if you're serious about getting better, it really requires getting fit for equipment by a PGA pro and being instructed by a PGA pro in terms of swing mechanics. But if you're just interested in hitting the graph golf ball and looking at the data, try to see how low you can keep your spin while launching the ball as high as you can. One tip to do that, you're going to have to make contact not perfectly in the center of the driver, but just slightly higher than that on the face. So you can go buy Dr. Scholl's spray, put it on the face of your driver, hit a shot, and you will see an imprint of the ball. If you aren't making contact near that, that sweet spot, which is kind of the high middle spot on your driver, you're probably adding loft and you're probably adding spin, and the ball is not going as far as it could be going. The average golfer is just under 3,300 RPMs of spin with a 12.6 degree launch angle, and that is way too much spin. And in a perfect world, the ball would be launched slightly higher than that, maybe a degree or two, depending on your swing speed, and the spin would be down well below 3,000 RPMs. For the rest of your clubs, Obviously, it depends here, but here's a six iron example. If you are fa a faster swing speed player, a range of around 5,300 to 5,900 RPMs is appropriate, and it goes down slightly from that point if you're a slower swing speed player. You can find PGA Tour averages with each club at our website, graph.golf. Of course, those averages are going to be higher with irons because of the tremendous speed being generated, so most golfers are going to want to be slightly below those averages because they are, aren't generating the same type of speed. But once again, anything with a crazy high spin rate is really poor contact a lot of the time. Like the other metrics, you want consistency and you want to eliminate outliers. And that's the main message I want to get across in this Crash Course podcast is that when you have the graph ball in your hands and you're using it, it's a game of making a good swing seeing what those numbers are telling you, and then trying to repeat that. Most of the time, it comes down to contact. If you are struggling, go back and make smaller swings with better contact. If you look at the analytics after you do that, 
the ball speed and carry yardages may be lower, but the launch and spin will be back in line, and then you can build up bigger swings from that point. So that's a quick crash course on Smart Golf Ball Analytics. We will be going deeper into some of these topics. We will have some special guests on in the future to explain their point of view on these. But this is a good foundation for most golfers to get a sense of what these numbers mean. We've talked about all of these topics in depth at the club, so go ahead and check that out. Thank you to everyone for listening. We're, we're just super excited for the launch of the Smart Golf Ball, and hopefully this helps once you start using it. We'll see you again next time. Cheers. Cheers.